Hear the word of God from Matthew, the 14th chapter, verses 22 through 33. This reading comes from the Common English Bible. You can find this reading on page 796 in the Pew Bible. Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning he came to his disciples, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They were so frightened they screamed. Just then Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged, it's me, don't be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? When they got into the boat, the wind settled down. Then those in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, You must be God's son. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I am terrible at water skiing. I know that must come as an utter shock to all of you. It was in Horseshoe Lake in the middle of central Minnesota that was the site of my first and only attempt at water skiing. There I was sitting at the edge of the dock with a ski strapped to both feet with a life jacket hearing the words of my instructor. He said a lot of things to me in that moment. The one bit of instruction I seem to remember was... McGray, whatever happens, don't let go of the rope. (laughs) It's the only instruction I remembered as the boat lurched forward and sped along the entire width of Horseshoe Lake. Ever since that moment, lake topographers have studied the bottom of that lake marveling at the amazing trench that had since been dug in that moment. Uh, An entire ecosystem was created that day. Walleye and crappies still sing my praises for what I did for those fish. That's one of those things that I cannot relate to with this Scripture today. It's one of the many reasons that I kind of find it hard to relate to a passage where we have not just one, but two examples of two different people who are able to defy gravity and walk on top of the water. I can't relate to that story at all. And you know, that's what happens with some of these miracle stories. They seem on the one hand to be so far-fetched, so so hard to believe, so incomprehensible that there is a part of us, a a skeptical part of us that would want to ascribe miracles, stories like this as simply fable, too, too hard to believe. And you know, that would be a shame. 
It'd be a shame to dismiss miracle stories like this because the reality is there's something about this story that is not only true, it's universally true. And here's the truth of this story. Peter was afraid, and so are most of us. There's the truth in that story for us today. I wonder what you're afraid of. All of us have something that we're fearful of. For some of us, it's related to illness. For ourselves, as we confront our own mortality, or maybe for someone else that we love. For others of us, there's a fear of instability with our careers or our jobs or our ambitions. Fear fear can touch just about any part of our lives at any moment, at any time. Fear can touch our bodies, they can touch our minds, they can touch our spirits or our loved ones, they can touch our wallets, they can touch our job securities, our passions, our career ambitions. Fear can strike at any moment. And would it be that fear only struck just one part of our lives? The reality is, if you look at it this morning, there may be multiple aspects of your life where you're experiencing fear today. And the result is this convergence, this kind of perfect storm where the winds howl and the waves crash and the storm builds and builds and builds. Peter was afraid. And so are many of us. You layer on top of that the fears that many of us have about the concerns of the world today, the concerns of the nation. It's Probably not too difficult to understand why there are a lot of fears involved with our politics today. Regardless of where you are on the partisan spectrum, regardless of your partisan leanings, all of us have fears. For some of us, it's a fear in relation to the loss of rights of minorities or women or the loss of compassion for immigrants. For other people on the other side of the spectrum, it's a fear of security for our nation in the face of foreign-born terror. For all of us, it's a fear that this deeply polarized, deeply divided nation, these United States, will never really be united again. This is the month for President's Day. And with President's Day just around the corner, I thought it would be good to remember the words of the first inaugural address of Abraham Lincoln, who also spoke to a nation who was deeply divided, who was deeply gripped by its fears. And this is what he said, we are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the union when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. Would it be that we would hear these words of Abraham Lincoln again in the face of our fears as a country? You know, it should be no surprise to us that this story in which Peter was the most afraid he ever was in his entire life would take place on the water, would take place on the sea, because the Bible loves talking about the seas. 
From Genesis to Job through the Gospels, whenever the sea is involved, you can bet it's a place of great anxiety and worry and fear. Take a look at the book of Genesis in which a flood wiped out all of creation. Skip ahead to the book of Exodus in the days of slavery when a large sea separated the people of Israel from freedom from Pharaoh. And before that book was over, we'd hear a story of how water prevented the people from crossing the Jordan and entering the promised land. In the Psalms and in Isaiah, the seas over and over again are personified as that source of evil and wickedness, that threatening, imposing force that causes fear in the lives of God's people, personified in the book of Job, where Job is describing the fearfulness of the world personified in this monster named Leviathan. You get the picture? The sea is one of the Bible's most important supporting characters. It's a supporting actor all throughout the stories from Genesis to Job to the Gospels. When the Bible wants to describe fear, it literally plunges you right into its depths, immerses you right in its jaws. We know what it is to be so gripped with fear that it feels like all we're doing is bailing with our buckets or patching holes in our boat or watching the waves crash into the fragile seams of the boat in our lives. We know what it's like to be flailing and drowning and treading water through life. And this is what the disciples felt. This is what Peter felt. And this is what many of us are feeling right now. And all we can hear is what I heard my instructor say. Whatever you do, don't let go of the rope. To make matters worse, the disciples also thought they were alone for good reason. I mean, Jesus told them to go ahead without him. He said, you fellows, go ahead across the lake. I'm going to stay behind on the shore. I want to pray. And so here are the waves crashing and the winds howling and the storm brewing and the disciples, for good reason, simply because they were doing what Jesus taught them to do, thought they were all alone. And that is the scariest part of every fear that we face. It's that feeling like God is absent. God is nowhere to be found, that maybe God is not as powerful as we thought, and that God is absent from our situation. That's a natural conclusion. The disciples concluded that quite naturally. But you want to know something? The one facet of each of those sea stories that I outlined for you just moments ago the one common denominator in all of them is that in every single case, God was not only present there, God was demonstrating power in each situation. God was taking the seas of the creation and splitting it into the firmaments. God took that sea that was separating the Israelites from the wilderness and split it into dry land. God took the evil that was Leviathan and crushed it and ordered it to stand down. Order over and over and over again, God demonstrates that God is right in the middle of the storm with us, whether we realize it or not. Because after all, the disciples thought Jesus was a ghost when he first started out walking to them. But make no mistake, God is greater than the seas. God is greater than your fears. And in this story, 
God was walking on top of the water. It's enough for a professional barefoot skier like myself to just be wonderful, marvel at. Even when we feel alone to battle the waves on our own, God is always there. Now, those are words. And I I know how hard it is to not only hear good words, but to apply them. It's hard to believe it. It's even tougher to apply it and to really live it because claiming that promise that God is with you in the midst of your storm won't be easy. I mean, Peter believed it for a moment. Peter claimed it for a little while. In fact, he, he claimed it more boldly than any of us ever would. He, he saw Jesus walking on the water, and he believed in that moment that because Jesus could walk on water, he could empower Peter himself to walk on water. And so he did for a while until the waves started to roar again, until the waves and the wind started to howl again, until the storm got stronger. And you know what? That is what often happens when we muster up enough courage to take one step, it doesn't mean the storms go away. In fact, when we muster up enough courage to take heart and claim the power of God, sometimes the storm gets stronger, not weaker. Sometimes the wind howls louder, not softer. Just because you say you're surrendering to Jesus doesn't mean automatically those storms will go away, and that's just the fact of the matter. So here is where we learn this very important truth, that it's not just about saying you surrender to Jesus. It's not just taking one step of courage to surrender to Jesus. It means reorienting your entire life, surrendering the entire chief operating principle of your existence over to surrendering to God. It means taking everything about who you are and saying, here, God, this this is who I am. Take it. This is not vending machine theology where if you simply say the right thing or do the right thing, then all of a sudden the storms will go away. This means saying, I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt, put me to doing, put me to suffering, let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. That's what surrendering to Jesus really means. It means saying, I am letting you be the chief operating principle in my life from now on. Now, Peter didn't say those words in that moment. He didn't, he didn't utter the Wesley Covenant prayer as he was standing in that, in that water watching the storm grow stronger. In fact, Peter said the same thing, but he said it much more succinctly. All he said in that moment was, Lord, rescue me. Lord, rescue me. And then in verse 31, that's when the miracle took place. Even before the winds died down, even before the storm stopped. You know, the greatest Miracle in this story is not the fact that the storm eventually died. The greatest miracle in this story is that Jesus reached out to calm a commoner. That Jesus was able to vanquish the fears of Peter. It says in verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. 
and he calmed his fears. Notice the storm didn't stop at that moment. The storm kept on going even after Jesus reached out and grabbed Peter. All the way until they made it back into the boat, the storm was still brewing. But that wasn't the miracle. The miracle was not that the storm stopped. The miracle was that Jesus reached out to Peter and Peter finally felt safe. And that's the hope for us this morning. As the Spirit of God is wrestling within your heart today, as the Spirit of God takes the words of my mouth and somehow applies it to the, to the blanks that you can fill within your own life of the areas in which you are afraid, I suspect that many of us are at a place where we are ready to say, Lord, rescue me. You are fearful, calling out for healing for yourself or for your loved one or even for your world or this country. And I wouldn't want this service to end without inviting you to not only claim that fear, but also to invite you to experience that same Jesus reaching out and grabbing a hold of you. I want you in some way to spiritually experience that same Jesus taking a hold of your hand so that you can experience the miraculous calming of your fears, even in the midst of that storm no matter how much longer that storm will brew. The first way I'd like to invite you to experience healing is to remember that on this Sunday, as we always do on the first Sunday of every month, in the middle of this service, during communion, there is a team of people in the chapel who are part of our healing team. It's a group of folks that are called and equipped to pray for you and make intercession for whatever needs you might have. Right after this sermon, after the offering, when we invite people to come forward for communion, you might wish to instead go over to the chapel where you can not only receive communion, but also pray privately with a team of people that Sally Campbell Evans, our minister of congregational care, has worked with to pray for people who are in need of healing for whatever need they might have. It's a wonderful ministry. It's been here for a very long time. But for some of us, we are just hearing about this for the first time. And maybe the best way to share this ministry with you is through this video. Throughout Scripture, ministries of spiritual healing are affirmed it is through healing that God works to bring about reconciliation and wholeness between God and humanity, between individuals and communities, and frankly, within individuals themselves. We believe that all healing comes from God, but here at Hyde Park, we have a church healing prayer team ministry. Now, our ministry doesn't take away from the work of doctors or counselors, but we seek to add to it, to, to be a part of God's team, to bring healing among our community. We don't think that we are here to fix you. No, it is God who does the fixing and the healing and the reconciling and the love. But we are here to walk with you on your journey. So if you find yourself in need of prayer, healing prayer. We hope that you will find your way over here to this chapel on the first Sunday. So once again, when you're invited for communion this morning here in the sanctuary, you may wish to instead go over to the chapel 
to receive communion and experience healing prayer with that very special team. The other way that you might wish to experience the touch of Jesus today is by receiving the anointing of oil. In this little vessel, some very simple oil where we will practice, if you wish, a very biblical tradition of receiving the anointing of oil, either on your head or on your hand. There'll be a clergy person standing on the outside aisle of both sides of the chancel so that after you receive communion, if you wish, you can stop by either side where one of the clergy, by your request, will anoint your head or your hands with oil, say a simple one-sentence blessing. You may also wish, if, if you'd like, to share whatever your need is with that clergy person and receive the oil for yourself. You know, there's nothing magical about receiving oil. There's nothing superstitious. By receiving that anointing, it does not mean that your problems will automatically go away. This is not vending machine theology here. Remember, once again, that when Jesus reached out and grabbed Peter, the storms kept on brewing along that long walk from the water into the boat, and it wasn't until they were in the boat that the storm stopped. So receiving this oil doesn't mean your problems are going to go away. More importantly, it simply means that God is with you. God's presence and God's power are going to stay with you no matter what happens, and you will receive healing in your spirit as your fears are calmed. You know, at the very end of that story, as the storm stopped and there were blue skies and calm water and all that was left were disciples drenched and bleary-eyed looking at the face of Jesus, their response was one of worship. And it's my prayer that your response will be one of worship too. Their concluding words were this, truly, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And may that be our affirmation today as well. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that even in the midst of our storms, you have not left us, that you are right there by our side, and as we call out to you to name our fears, you are there with a very present hand to touch us, to reach out to us, and to guide us through whatever those storms may be. It is our prayer for anyone in this sanctuary today with fears of any kind, for any reason, for any person, that we might experience the healing miracle of your presence in our lives. Remind us that we're not alone and that we, in fact, can go into the world by the strength of your Spirit to give ourselves so that through us you might calm the fears of people around us. Thank you for the gift of communion where we will taste your grace, for the gift of oil in which we will receive the tactile sensation of your love for us. Remind us that we are never alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray and let all God's people say, Amen.